Michael, what are the disruptive sciences? Uh, the disruptive sciences is essentially the innovation sciences and the behavioral sciences sciences interface together. Uh, when we talk about innovation science in the context of education, um, it's more in the lines of adopted principles of creating a model that uh, is grounded in uh, agile, right, in lean processes, research and development where you're constantly running, whether it be A-B tests or or, or split designs um, within the school itself to be able to scale uh, different initiatives or innovations. And then the behavioral sciences act, aspect of it is when you're grounding uh, behavioral culture, right, BQ, as opposed to uh, situational analysis or even learned behaviors, but grounding your cultural strategy based off of the behavioral quotients of your team, of the stakeholders, of your education entity, and to be able to wrap that in the innovation sciences. Because again, when you think about creating a, an environment that's grounded on agile principles, you really have to understand the people and capacity in order to drive this level of transformation or even progressive ideologies in education. So uh, the disruptive sciences is more in a like of innovation, right? Thought to power, um, a process of taking an idea from inception to impact. So um, I think that in order for us to survive in this new paradigm, it's going to require this leadership of incorporating the disruptive sciences. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderark, and I'm joined today by Dr. Michael T. Connor. He's the founder and CEO of Agile Evolutionary Group. Dr. Connor uh, has been a school and system leader in Connecticut for more than 15 years, most recently served as superintendent in Milltown. Michael, you you started as a teacher, um, an elementary teacher. What, what was your path to becoming a fourth grade teacher in Connecticut? Um, wow, that's a great question, Tom. Thank you for having me. First, I would say that leading for me to become a teacher was ultimately my experience um, within the K-12 trajectory myself. Uh, one, you know, feeling and seeing the inequities. It wasn't um, inequities or equities back then, but knowing the inequities that I was experiencing, uh, coupling with the microaggressions and implicit biases of Black male students uh, in the 90s, specifically um, when you wanted more rigor, when you wanted uh, um, uh, more classes to challenge you intellectually as well as to stimulate you. Uh, we had a fight for that. So my path to becoming a teacher and my why is that no family should have to fight for uh, quality and rigor. Uh, that was the first step and me wanting to become a teacher. And then I said, you know what, I want to have a seat at the table. And um, that's where that trajectory or that vision to become a superintendent um, came along as where, well. Where'd you, where'd you go to high school, Michael? Yep, Branford High School, Branford, Connecticut. So grew up in Connecticut. What, was that a relatively diverse high school? No. <laughs> uh, I would say in a class of, we were at a class of around 300, um, roughly about 10 African Americans, maybe 20 uh, black and brown students total in that graduating class. So the decision to become a teacher was more... Um, there's probably some teachers that um, that had a big influence on you, but it, it 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 sounds like becoming a teacher was also an act of social justice, a, a, a calling to 
make things right. It made the purpose clear. Um, when you are able to see what the purpose is, um, what the drive is, I always had that internal activism, even at a younger, even at a young age. Uh, so to be able to ensure that the instruction um, environment uh, is safe for students, students to be able to take risk, um, to be able to challenge them free of any biases or preconceived notions, uh, just because of a demographic subgroup that they belong to, so um, those are the those are the the real uh, reasons why I wanted to become a teacher. Uh, again, I loved every second of of being a teacher, especially applying some of the research and theory to um, our students and seeing some of the students grow. When I was a classroom uh, practitioner back then, so yeah, it was my why that drove me into the education industry. Michael, you moved pretty quickly into uh, school leadership. What 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 propelled you um, so quickly into leadership roles? My curiosity of learning, um, my uh, initial stance of impact, right? And I know that you know if you look at these from a statistical lens, uh, the correlation of you know learning and impact together, you, you can really. Uh, has some desirable uh, and exponential outcomes uh, from students. So yeah, went through that. Um, really, really, really diverse background uh, from an education sense, traditional uh, research, uh, conducted research. Um, that was part of my dissertation, which is now, you know, I would like to say a part of the education fad uh, that we talk about culture responsive practices, but this curiosity around emerging technologies um, data analytics and business and operating model disruption. I'm starting to couple both. Where now we're using those practices, using you know, let's say design thinking as an uh, an example to 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 go through the de- the design thinking process with the foundational research that's embedded in our schools. So um, yeah, it's just been a great, great, great uh, experience, divergent experience with different learning experiences for me from a professional learning sense to be able to apply in, um, in Middletown. When, when um, you had the opportunity to lead Middletown, um, Middletown, like, like Meriden next door, is a, a one high school town, very good uh, districts uh, traditionally. Was that sort of a good to great opportunity for you? Is that a district that historically had done pretty well? What was the opportunity set that that drew you to the, the leadership role in Merit, uh, Middletown? Yeah, I think every opportunity, um, you know, well, Middletown was just the same as <clears throat> any other district, right? Uh, there's elements and tenants uh, that you can strategically apply for the continuous improvement process. Uh, there were great things that, you know, they were already doing. But I think that when we look at the national landscape in the context of our problem of practice, um, how do we create structures and systems uh, that are more equitable for all students? I think that's one, you know, um, problem variable that a lot of superintendents across the country are dealing with. And then two, defining what innovation is um, in alignment to the economic or market demand, right? Being able to not only um, efficiently build upon these 
systems that are already in place, micro innovation as Clay Christensen would define, but how do we now move it to this level of radical innovation where now students are experiencing um, their, their education experience in the brick and mortar, but is emulating the broader economic demand. So I think those are the two folded big problem practices uh, that I was dealing with, but what superintendent is it, right? Because historically you got these standardized structures that's built on equality. Uh, how do we eliminate that? The Carnegie unit that identifies specific hours, what makes a determined amount of hours mastery within whatever specific content. So those are the things that I think that we still have to keep ruffling with and experiment for innovation. Middletown was a, a place where affluent white kids were all going to college and uh, that wasn't true of everybody. So there, you, you, I think you found equity gaps there that, um, that you tried to surface um, and work on. And, and that can, in some respects, that can be even harder to, that work can be harder to do in a place that's traditionally high performing, at least for, uh, for affluent kids. Um, I, I love the plan. You, I guess you actually put two plans together one right before the pandemic and then one uh, during the pandemic. The, the Middletown 2024 plan focuses on elevating innovation, creativity, and equity. So I, I obviously love the, 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 the three um, themes of that plan. Uh, was that crazy to try to build that um, with outreach uh, to your to your faculty and your community during a pandemic. Yeah, and and you know, uh, Tom, great point because um, Middletown 2021. When I first got in, um, my entry plan I saw that's grounded in data. Uh, I used a traditional process to collect that information, right? But I think um, the expanded learning, you know, specifically now when our plan was up right when the uh, pandemic occurred. <clears throat> so we had to go in this process of designing the plan. But, you know, when we talk about innovation, right, and when we talk about closing equity gaps, specifically in the context of access and opportunity, um, what we did was a, a crowdsourcing campaign, uh, crowd-based innovation in the context of where now multiple entities within the ecosystem, or I should say stakeholder groups within the ecosystem, was able to um, build upon specific ideas, cogitate on you know one particular focus, whether it be around social emotional learning, or whether it be around racial equity and social justice, or whether it be around access and opportunity, students, parents, staff members, through this crowdsourcing approach, was able to get the necessary data to create the goals and strategies of Middletown 2024. So when you see elements of creativity, elevating creativity, equity, and innovation, you can actually break the realms down of the strategies where you hear the voices of the students, hear the voices of our stakeholders, uh, and more importantly, um, hear the voices of our leaders and teachers as well. So it was more efficient and more effective by going to this hybrid of mining the gap between the physical and digital world and in lieu of how I did it so uh, the first time. But again, this shows you how open-based innovation can create um, a holistic approach to an organizational strategy. I just want to repeat those themes of innovation, creativity, and equity. Most traditional school systems actively squelch all three of those dimensions of innovation, creativity, and equity. Um, and so it, it's a beautiful plan. Um, done under 
crazy circumstances. So, Michael, um, you were named a commissioner when, when the Superintendents Association developed this National Learning 2025 Commission. Um, you and I both had the chance to serve as a commissioner. I think that's really where you and I had uh, the first opportunity to work together in in um, in any depth. And I, for one, just um, loved having the chance to work with you. And I so deeply appreciate the, the contributions you made to that effort. It was a real learning experience for me. What what was that like for you? <laughs> um scary initially right uh you know when i when i first got selected i was like wow you know what an honor to develop that report then you know when you get on when we got on that first initial zoom call uh you know you see the likes of tom vander ark you see the likes of dr melba smith uh, some of the superintendents that were part of this sharon Contreras. um it was a little intimidating tom it was sort of uh, uh, the who's who of American education, right? <laughs> and, uh, but otherwise than that, um, it was probably one of the best uh, learning experiences, right? To be able to pick the minds of the, um, you know, some of the most revered educators in the country and to feel that I had a contribution in developing that report and seeing some of my language uh, in that report, um, it's just absolutely an honor. Uh, Michael, I, I particularly appreciate the uncomfortable leadership role that you took on. I appreciate uh, Dr. Lavelle Brown, the Ithaca superintendent. The two of you, about halfway through, uh, noticed that this mostly white commission had come up with comfortable, you know, mostly white language. <laughs> Um, you said the, that <laughs> the, the, the report was, um, it looked like it was adding up to something interesting, but not important because it, it really didn't, um, it hadn't brought issues of, uh, racial justice to, to the forefront. And so one, just thank you for the courage that you had to, um, to, to lead us to a better place. But I, I, are, you, are you happy with where that ended up? Uh, yeah, you know what? Um, I, I, yes, I'm happy where it ended up in the report. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think I was more, I think I was happier uh, with regards to this actually being a discussion among some of the um, biggest educators in the country, right? Because what we noticed, or I can say what I noticed, was that you know we were coming up with amazing theory. We were coming up with uh, some of the best next practices in the context of you know disruption and innovation. What was obsolete was looking at that through an equity lens, looking at it through this lens of cultural competence, right? Metabolizing cultural confidence and cultural relevancy within that document and being able to bring it out, right? To have discussions. When we talk about, you know, redesigning a model to be iterative, what does that look like in the context of black and brown students and how do we ensure access as an opportunity is there for them in a personalized manner? So being able to bring that conversation uh, and discussion to the group and have us be able to cogitate 
specifically around how we can strengthen those realms from uh, a racial equity lens, I think that was more impactful than those words going in a report because I know 33 change agents are going to look at that differently. Well, we we settled on language uh, in the culture section of the report. Um, we settled on language uh, that says no learner marginalized. So it's an important theme in there. It's not quite the uh, the, the language that you and Dr. Brown uh, suggested, but it is um, central to that report. And so your contribution was uh, was a really important one as you pushed us towards um, innovation, creativity, and equity. So, so you you've now um, left Middletown and are working full time on sharing. Um, a new innovation framework uh, with America. Um, it sounds like the your Middletown work, uh, the, your work with AASA were both learning opportunities for you and in, in building the new framework that you're sharing. But tell us about uh, Agile Evolutionary Group and the, your new disruptive excellence framework. Yeah. So AG um, was developed just primarily uh, for the sense of what you and I were talking about, being able to build capacity around these transformative practices as we might as we move into what I like to call the AC stage after COVID-19 stage. Um, education went through three different paradigms before COVID, right? We know what was going on before COVID, an industrialized model, uh, standardized schools, uh, but we saw a perpetuating achievement gap, right? We saw this draconian slide in achievement with specific sub- subsets. Then the conversations around equity started to begin. We entered the stage of during COVID, right? During COVID was, I call it the great state of experimentation where technology was invited into the classrooms. We had to go asynchronous, synchronous learning. We had to learn a variety of different strategies uh, to ensure that we kept kids uh, on target, right? There wasn't this high perseveration on standardized assessments or high stakes accountability metrics, but more on the lines of, are we ensuring that the whole child, whole school, whole community is receiving uh, exactly what they need, i.e. moving away from high stakes accountability to equity? Now, as we go into this AC stage, we have to take that grounded learning from the during COVID stage and disrupt what we're going back to, which is the industrial model, right? Because this is the first academic year, um, typical academic year as defined by Chris Minish since the 2018-19 academic year. What do we normally do when we get comfortable? We revert back to the what? The legacy. This is a time and opportunity we cannot revert back to the legacy, but continue having this disruptive mindset, incorporating these sciences and expanding, you know, the work of being agile or the work of, you know, design thinking and grounding those innovation strategies to expand um, for our all students. We have to create a new model. Uh, Generation Alpha, Generation Z are fundamentally different from how you and I were educated. So. Uh, and we have to create that model for them. So this is the most, I think, important stage of education in a very, very, very long time. I, I would argue that 
we've never been at a unprecedented point where now we're allowed to reimagine the model. We're allowed to um, be incubators of innovators without anybody having this level of, of opposition. Yes, there's going to be opposition, right? Because you're asking people to think differently and to do things differently. But now we can be able to capitalize on this opportunity. Tell us about the the work that um, that you'll be leading at uh, at AEG. Uh, will it most of it be in um, in the form of professional learning uh, cohorts or consulting or both? Yeah, yeah, both both Tom. Uh, one you know element that I'm bringing on is this uh, process called the organizational diagnostic scans. And what I do in alignment to the uh, disruptive excellence framework, I'll be able to analyze, collect a variety of different data sets and cooperate all those data sets to identify the patterns and themes and then make specific recommendations uh, to follow that continuum of innovation going from experimentation to systematization uh, and for what I like to call strategic dimensions. Uh, first is instructional systems. Second is education and innovation. Third is culture and excellence. And the fourth is operating systems. And what I will do is provide recommendations and next steps based off of my uh, quantitative and qualitative analysis of that. Uh, provide the district with a summary that could be in alignment with their strategic plan or be a grounded guidepost to develop um, a strategic plan within a district. Executive coaching is more in the lines of one-on-one -on -one coaching in the context of I'm going to use a cognitive uh, approach of coaching, but it's going to be around the dimensions of challenge leadership, challenge-driven leadership, focused on how do you maintain um, and, and mitigate the idiosyncrasies within an iterative model of education. What does it look like in the context of ensuring all, e all stakeholders within the ecosystem have voice? Um, so it's really that transformative leadership process. How do you manage your change management process around the continuous improvement cycle using the disruptive excellence framework? So, you know, those processes around organizational diagnostic scans, executive coaching, of course, I think one of the flagship things that we're going to be doing is building leadership capabilities around the disruptive um, excellence framework and disruptive sciences itself. So there's multiple realms of AEG, um, you know, organizational scans. Uh, those reports are going to be amazing, especially grounded in how we can move to, I like to call the AC stage Delta 2030 identified by McKinsey but more importantly, developing leaders around this type of mindset. Uh, the hypothesis is pretty much that if we can develop a broad base within this coalition, um, the highly politicized world that we live in and polarized as well, we can be able to push those people out to continue the necessary work for kids. Michael, I want to sort of dive into your um, education vision a, a bit. Let's say you've worked with a system for three or four years. So we're uh, 20, 2027. Um, what, what does fourth grade look like in a, in a system that's been engaging with uh, the disruptive excellence framework? Um, you'll see a system where the traditional brick and mortar is not the same, um, where 
traditional schools develop a quote-unquote STEM program, which I would call it an an architectural innovation level two, coherence process two, um, is where that you would develop a vertical track that outlines only two verticals that usually districts create, whether it be robotics and drone, that's their STEM. But you have to be able to create um, a, a space where now you have what I like to call your core, right? Your core um, grounded industries, which is computer science, exploration, and um, digital fabrication. But you have to be able to expand that to two pathways that are aligned to the industry demand of that community. Now you have a fabrication center where students are, you know, going in the fabrication center and working with different programs. You have asynchronous learning that can be delivered through uh, a university uh, focused on coding. Now you have drone and robotics development, where now you're testing as well as developing the drones itself and including robotics. So you have to be able to create those type of spaces for learning. I know in Middletown, what I did, I created what I called the New England hub of Silicon Valley. And the innovation lab uh, consisted of a fabrication center, uh, a, gar- a creative garage, um, a, a digital room where now students are analyzing, developing coding, as well as receiving mixed reality, uh, mixed realities um, for them to get the true experience of learning. That should be the learning environment, right, for students, where now students are truly, Tom, what you and I love, co-authors of learning, right? It's not didactic or monolithic instruction where teacher is disseminating information, but now teacher is facilitating that learning where students are co-authoring through uh, their experiences. So um, there should be, you know, artificial intelligence, right, machine learning, where not only are students interacting with an avatar or interacting with technology, but the precision of the zone of proximal development of instruction is getting to that level of personalization where the teacher is using that data to be able to form a variety of different activities, strength and differentiation. So um, hopefully I don't see grade levels soon, right? What are grade levels? Uh, hopefully I don't see your uh, students in ninth grade not be able to take um, uh, uh, um, courses that they want to be able to take because they have to uh, they have to take the courses within their regular standardization. So um, schools should look fundamentally different, right? Uh, students should have uh, open campuses where they're exploring in different industries. Um, we need to fundamentally reimagine and redesign our model right now because right now we are not preparing students for this digital economy in 2030. Michael, I, I think we're, uh, this is a question about leadership, system leadership in particular. It feels like we're experiencing a, a national campaign against innovation and equity uh, in American schools. And we're seeing um, some traditionally good school boards um, flip to uh, people that seem to have a different agenda, that one that is not about community that one is not about equity. Um, what, what's your advice for current and aspiring um, system leaders in, in this contentious time? Continue to be systems leaders, right? Um, continue to ensure that you're uh, more purpose 
your ethical compass will continue you to be able to drive that. Uh, change agents, Tom, you know, have a very short life to live. I think it's probably even smaller now um, with the level of politics that's involved in education. So as a change agent, you have to be able to articulate your strategy, develop your coalition, um, ensure that you're a visionary and, and continue the equity work, continue the excellence work, continue the innovation work. Because, um, you know, in 10, 15 years, Tom, you and I know uh, society's not going to look the same. It's going to be dominated by technology. We're already seeing uh, an increased amount of um, uh, blue collar jobs being eliminated because of um, systems are being automated, right? And we have to be able to prepare students, right? The, how to live in this digital operating world and an analogous operating world. But you have to push that, right? Status quo to me um, has, is, is mediocrity has been accepted in education. If we continue to push, build that coalition, um, hopefully we'll be able to ensure that we are preparing kids correctly. Because right now, the model that we're in, especially coming out of the pandemic from the education lens, uh, we need to disrupt it fundamentally. Michael, um, as you were building the disruptive excellence framework, you read 40-some 47. 47 books. Um, Including some of your pick, work, Tom. <laughs> pick, one or, pick one or two that, uh, one or two of those voices that you think were oh, man. really That resonated with me. What, uh, what voices do you want to lift up? Oh, wow. Uh, Tom, your work as well, you know, always. Uh, Thomas Seaball. Uh, his work with digital transformation was amazing. Uh, Clay Christensen's book, What's Next, was great. Big data that I read uh, about, you know, exactitude of data sets and how data sets are supposed to be messy with big data and exactitude, you know, yeah, is not the word going, causality versus correlation. So I, I've read a plethora. Um, Atu Gwande's book, uh, a variety of different different individuals um you know but it was it was a good experience and that was the impetus uh that of me developing the disruptive excellence framework it was you know from a variety of different works michael tushman's work explain explore um you know his his book around that his theory and creating uh ambidextrous environments yeah it was it was great tom it was a great i would call uh self-directed learning experience heteragogy as we would say in the education lens. I, well, I appreciate that uh, while you did some reading in education, you were reading uh, broadly about systems change and social change and technology change. So it's been a, a productive period for you. Yeah, I, I'm Tom, I'm looking forward to um, broadening this out nationally, right? Um, this has been one of the most uh, best learning experiences from a personal standpoint, but from a professional standpoint, I, I got to expand on the deep exploration of the, um, of the baseline that I created in Middletown. So I think that, you know, the experience uh, that I had with the learning coupled with, you know, me diving in these books and then creating this framework and subsequent, um, uh, protocols and, and, and scaffolds to be able to support that 
uh, hopefully I'll be able to get it out there and support leaders in this very arduous uh, task of redesigning and reimagining education for the future. Hey, we've been talking to Dr. Michael Connor. He's the founder of the Agile Evolutionary Group. Uh, Michael, if people want to know more, where can they find you? Where, where can they learn more? Yeah, um, my website is officially live, um, Agile Evolutionary Group. You'll be able to find that. And then also um, there's a link on the bottom of the website where if they want to know more information or get in contact with me, they can be able to fill that out uh, on the website itself. And then also via Twitter uh, at Doc Connor, D-O-C-C-O-N-N-E-R-1-3, or they can email me, mt.connor, C-O-N-N-E-R, 1313 at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Connor, um, I, I uh, so appreciate the chance uh, over the last two years to learn with and from you to present with you. Um, I, I love your insights and energy. Um, I'm super excited about your new group. I, uh, I hope we have the chance to work together in a, in a handful of places and Try to do the, the good work together. Absolutely, Tom. And thank you for having me on. Um, you know, it was a great honor to serve with you on the Learning 2025 National Commission and supporting my work uh, beyond that as well. And it would be a extreme honor to get a chance to work with you on a project or anything. Um, because, again, I think that we need to broaden the coalition and we can do it together. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, and Tom. thanks for producer and creative director Mason Pasha and the whole Getting Smart team for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep learning, keep leading for equity. See you soon. Thanks for tuning into the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about got a topic or a guest in mind send your recommendations to me mason at gettingsmart.com and if you like what you're hearing don't forget to leave a review in apple podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag gs podcasts thanks so much